Hey everyone, welcome back to BioNexus Head Podcast, Autism Uprooted. Uh, today we'll be traveling across the pond to the UK. We'll be speaking with Dr. Sidra. Sidra and her uh, husband are both MDs, both physicians. Uh, dad, I believe, is a pediatrician. And um, we will be speaking with Sidra about her journey with her son on the autism spectrum disorder. Hamza has seen remarkable gains on a completely natural herbal protocol. And um, it would be great if um, we heard it straight from Sidra. Welcome to the BioNexus Health Podcast with Dr. Jodi A. Dashaw, who holds a PhD in integrative medicine, is board certified in integrative pediatrics, an internationally recognized pioneering clinician and author. And now here's your host of BioNexus Health Podcast, Dr. Jodi A. Dashaw. So we have with us today, uh, Dr. Sidra from the UK across the pond. Uh, uh, good morning, Sidra. How are you? Good morning, Dr. Jodi. I'm fine. It's uh, it's afternoon here, so yeah. good afternoon as well. Oh, that's right. That's right. My bad. Yes, yes. Good afternoon to you. Um, I, I can see it seems to be a, a nice and bright day for you. It has actually snowed, so usually winter's no a bit dark for us, but when it oh. has snowed, it looks a little bit brighter. Right. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, well, we have a gloomy, rainy day here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's more like our usual day. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, so I'm so glad and uh, so thrilled that you're you're here today. You, I've, I've really been looking forward to speaking with you about the remarkable journey you've had uh, with your son. And, you know, both you and your husband are physicians. And I, I would like to, uh, uh, you know, touch base on what made you decide to, uh, you know, stop the antibiotics and try the herbal route. Okay. With your son. Um so I'll start by saying that it was not an easy decision because as doctors, um, I'm, um, I'm in internal medicine, but my husband is a pediatrician and um, coming to terms with the fact that all that you've learned all your life um, is not actually working for your child puts you in a little bit of an identity crisis as a parent and as a doctor. So it was a difficult decision, but I could see it very clearly. I could see that the approach that the mainstream medicine had towards my son's symptom was more like a Band-Aid approach, which I later in conversations with myself had to agree that was our approach to most conditions anyway. We, we were, a lot of our um, management is actually based on managing symptoms and we rarely ever address the cause of things. But of course I saw it a lot more clearly when I was sitting on the other side of the desk as, as the patient's mom. And I saw my own colleagues doing for my child in their best knowledge, only symptomatic stuff. So I had to look for other options and I had to consider the fact that just covering up the symptoms is not really working for this child anymore. And I had to look for an approach that addresses the thing at the cause. It might be a slower approach. It might require a bit more hard work, on my side as well, but I was I was willing to give that a try because um, I could see it clearly that mainstream medicine was just putting a Band-Aid on the symptoms. Right. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I was in the exact same spot many, many years ago uh, with my son, you know, in 2009, when it took about a, a year and a half and 19 physicians to not come to a conclusion. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, I what know. exactly is going? Exactly. I mean, you know, we we were we tried band aids, we tried antibiotics, we tried uh, you know other pharmaceuticals, and it's interesting, you know, that not I would say one. Um, we had the the last one I decided to visit was the wonderful Dr. Murphy, um, pediatric oncologist, and obviously as a mother, I I was dreading and I was in denial. I was I mean not in denial. I did not expect any oncological issues, right. but not finding any answers for the excruciating pain and and uh, the the loss of lower extremity function. Like, what is going on? Why can't he walk? Why is he in a wheelchair? 
all right, fine, you know, maybe I have to come to terms with reality. She was the only one who made the autism and pants connection. Okay. Without any band-aid. I mean, it used to be called pandas uh, back in the day. And, uh, you know, from then on, we kind of proceeded. So um, I, I, I do find this that it is very difficult for anyone, not just mainstream medicine, to break away from from your you know traditional view of autism right sympathy no empathy just sympathy for the parent hey you know this is your child and you need to be brave and courageous because it is a, a life sentence exactly yeah yeah i can relate to it um in a way we had one doctor who's actually quite known um here well known here in the uk for being the only immunologist in the nhs who actually looks into pans pandas as a possibility nice. as not a lot of um so there was a pediatric neurologist we got in touch with who was my husband's friend um, so just to give you an overview of what my child was going through at that time, this was a child who by the age of two, two and a half, we knew had developmental delays. He didn't talk. He didn't have any play skills. As we looked at it in more details, we realized it wasn't just a speech thing. It was a more syndromic kind of picture. So we thought it was probably autism. Um, so I had as hard as it was by the age of two and a half, three made peace with the autism diagnosis and had come to what everybody was telling me that this is something to cover up with therapies and just try to help them achieve as much as they could. But when the pan symptoms kicked in, that was a complete change in a child that I'd known. For all his developmental delays, it was a happy child. It was a child who had got potty trained at the age of three, three and a half. Even though he couldn't talk, he could get himself to the toilet. He had other skills. He he was never scared of sorts of situations. As a mom, I knew my child. My autistic child still had a little personality that I was very well aware of. But when the pan symptom started, it was a child who cried for 20 hours a day mm. as if he was in severe pain. He lost that control over his um, bowels and his uh, urine so he was not toilet trained anymore he was screaming and this is a non-verbal child who was happy until like 24 hours ago and i couldn't figure out there were two obsessive behaviors where he wanted to go out of the house as if he was scared of being inside the house and he if he was inside the house, he only wanted to be in the shower. So as soon as we'd cross the door, he would run to the shower, turn the shower on with his clothes on, get all wet. Completely strange behaviors that didn't make any sense. So I started from our local GP to, to the A&E, to pediatric neurologist. I even had to advocate to them to just do basic blood tests, just, just do a basic full blood count and a, and a C-reactive protein, just see what's right. going on. Right, right. And even that was a fight because just like you said, they all told me this is autism and an autism um, baseline changes. So your child was a happy autistic child until yesterday. Now he's a miserable autistic child and you just make peace with it. Um, the pediatric neurologist said, well, it is not uncommon for them to lose skills. So maybe he's not potty trained anymore. And just like you, he prepared us for a very... Um, a scary idea. They said, if you want, we can do an MRI head. Maybe there's a tumor um, that's causing the sudden change of, like you said, loss of function in a way that he's not continent anymore. So these were some very grave scenarios that we were dealing with. And all this time, I know it's a strong word to use, but a lot of the doctors seem to be gaslighting my maternal instinct, where I kept telling them that this isn't his baseline. And they said, well, his baseline has shifted. There is nothing physically wrong with him because nothing showed up on the blood test. He didn't have a proper fever. They didn't care that it was a problem that had acutely started. And I kept telling them, this isn't really my child. So it was a huge emotional battle as well. My husband being the pediatrician was actually well known by the doctors in this hospital. And I remember one day when I said to him, look, he's screaming at home and he will scream at the a &E. Let me go take him to the that is our emergency room, accidents and emergency, we call it over here. If he has to scream, he better scream in the hospital where there are other doctors who will just get concerned about them and maybe help him. 
And my husband said, I know the doctor at the A&E would turn around and say to me, so as a pediatrician, what do you think is happening with your son? And I have no idea what's happening with my son. So don't put me at the spot like that. I'll wake it in the parking lot and you'd go take him to the hospital alone. And I did that. Sometimes I hid from them that I'm a doctor because they thought it was unreasonable of me as a medic to even try to look into another answer. So just that quest for getting an answer of what is happening with my child was, I think that was the more painful part of the journey. Yes. And again, you know, I can certainly relate. Um, I had one Yale uh, Yale trained infectious disease specialist ask me if my one and only child was pretending for my attention. Oh. I, I honestly I wanted to ask him, would you like to step outside and settle this outside? You know, <laughs> like, what the heck did you just say about my kid? And such a quiet, well-behaved, beautiful little boy, just, you know, just, yeah. So um, I've had, you know, uh, now there is a mycoplasma pneumonia outbreak in oh. in China. It's, it's actually spreading around the world now, right? And there's, there's a lot in the U.S. as well. Okay. So it's very interesting, you know, uh, mycoplasma being recognized in that manner because mycoplasma is a huge trigger for pans right so that's why the the diagnosis shifted from from what it used to be called as pandas is now called as pans because there is a multi-organism pathology it's not just strep anymore right there are you know other um pretty powerful uh, microorganisms like mycoplasma, like, you know, different species of staphylococcus, different species of streptococcus, not just the gabus, not just, you know, the the, the group A beta hemolytic uh, strep, which is considered to be the trigger for PANS, um, you know, and very similar to Tourette's, but still uh, very different uh, from yeah. Tourette's as well, you know, with the with the basal ganglia pathology, right? So anyways, yes, absolutely can relate. And um, so you heard about herbal medicine from, uh, from a patient, from you heard about me from a friend, colleague, patient? A friend, actually. Okay. Just like um, I think um, in the autism community, as we call it, it's always the moms somehow that stick together for each other. Very so true. I have one friend here in the UK that I sent a video to. I said, look at what my child is doing. Just look at it and tell me what it is. She was on, um, she lived in Manchester away from me. Uh, so she had heard me over the phone. She was trying to console me, but she hadn't actually seen my son. And when I showed her the video, she said, I don't know what to do about it. But as much as I've read, I can tell you 90% with certainty that this looks like pans. And I said, okay, what is pans? And she told me about all that she'd read about, and uh, she had seen some flares in her own daughter as well, but she wasn't very sure what to do. So, but at least she gave me direction. And then there was another friend from Pakistan who happened to be a patient of yours. Her son and mine actually share the name as well. So, uh -huh. and because she was a, she was always a very kind, gentle kind of person, I basically reached out to her for, for comfort, really. And I asked her that this is something another friend of mine has told me. And she says, this is something called PANS. I'm looking into it, but God, I'm exhausted. Can you just talk to me? Just pray for me, do something. <laughs> and she said um, that she, she knew what PANS was. She had had started her journey with you already. And um, she gave me like a brief overview of what she understood at that time, of how herbal medicines work. And by that time, actually, um, we had met a GP over here, um, a gen general physician who was like your first point of contact when, when your child gets ill. And after all these going around to the hospitals that nothing had come out of, I went to that guy and he looked at my son and he said, I have two boys with autism and I honestly don't know what's happening with your son, but there's sometimes my kids behave like this and I give them a trial of amoxicillin and they get a little bit better. Now, here in the NHS, they are very strict about antibiotic prescription uh, for sensitivity's sake. And also because it's 
fully government funded. So they want to really keep it low budget, everything that they give you. They don't want anything um, like if they can avoid giving a patient a drug, they would do that more for I financial see. reason. than even, even just amoxicillin that that's amoxicillin. That over here. It's it's, you know, the, the, the Z-Pack and amoxicillin uh, is like given like candy and, you know, even more so steroids. They are just handed oh. out. You know, here you go, steroids, you know, you have something bothering your immune system. Okay, well, let's shut it down. And yeah. <laughs> exactly. excuse me, you want to shut down an immune system, you know, and then like general public, right? They, they're just trying to help their child and okay, whatever works. And if yeah. that stops working, right, you know, prednisone taper is eventually going to stop working. Well, they go with the biologicals. Here's Humira. We tried shutting it down, your immune system. So it stopped working. Now, why don't we just annihilate it forever, mm -hmm. you know? And then you have a child uh, who is going to be on this biological. Oh, it's just one shot, you know, maybe once a month to begin with, you know. Um, and then uh, you, your, your child may easily die from the flu, you know, may easy, like, what are you doing? But that that's, as you and I both know, that is what... Uh, acute care is all about. I mean, modern medicine is fantastic for acute care, no mm -hmm. doubt, you know, but uh, when when it comes to conditions that are a bit rare, that need uh, additional workup, and for you, you actually mentioned that amoxicillin is like yeah. a song and a dance to, to, to yeah. get. Yes, yes. So he, he wow. was um, that was like him as another autism parent actually doing me a favor. He said, right. I'll I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give it to you. And it actually got my son better. So it gave me the idea that my two other friends were talking about pants actually made me think there is an infection down there. And at that time we consulted finally, as I started reading about pants, I found out about this immunologist down south who practices in this street in London, it's called Harley Street, which oh, is like yes. celebrity doctors, very expensive area to go to. Um, and we went down there to see him. He prescribed tests for 3,000 pounds within 10 minutes. And uh, we got them all done. And it came up that he, on based on those tests, actually, there were inflammatory markers like mannose binding protein. Mm -hmm. There were some um, um, antigen antibodies that came up that showed that he, it, there was a chronic strep infection. And the one thing that I had seen with my son was since the age of nine months, um, nine months old when he was, he got an impetigo infection around his nose and it came back at least twice a year since then. And he would get flucloxicillin for 10 days, it would go away. They would give me mupirocin to put around there. That infection was always there. Like it would come back once or twice a year. And I kind of put two and two together. I thought that chronic infection that he has is basically this, and it can be staph and can be strep. Now the immunologist, again, he did me a favor. He gave me an official diagnosis, mm -hmm. but he was after all a modern medicine doctor. And he said, right. So your treatment now is that he would get repeated courses of azithromycin because it's an anti-inflammatory as well as an antibiotic. And we will put him on rounds of ibuprofen, uh, heavy doses through the day. And that's going to make his stomach worse. It's going to give him gastritis. So he'll also be on omeprazole. Um, and we will do that several times a year and twice a month if we have to. And that's, that's all it takes. And I almost started with that treatment. But then I thought, God, what am I doing to this child's system? I'm killing his gut bacteria with these repeated antibiotics. Then I'm giving him antacids to make that environment even worse. Then I'm giving him ibuprofen, which will give him tummy aches. And it did, even though he was he's, he's nonverbal, he would come to me with this, um, with his little hands on his tummy during this so-called treatment. Oh, goodness. So I thought it's just making him miserable. And by that time I had had my appointment with you booked and it was coming up close and uh, my friend from Pakistan who was your patient mm -hmm. she told me um I really believe in this treatment and give it a full try and as far as you know it goes theoretically it it had she had seen that it had worked for her son but she like me had also studied it neutrally your protocol and the way you work so she was convinced with that as well 
And when I did, I realized that this seems like the right approach because as much as we're going to go aggressively on the underlying infections, we're going to also support him fully to do that. There's going to be a slow buildup of anti-inflammatories, a slow buildup of strong antimicrobials that actually work along with organ support and nutritional support. It made sense to me. It felt like, like a protocol less written by a doctor and more by a mom. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was a, that caring aspect to it, which was very convincing to me as a mom. And then you shared with me your own story as well. And I thought, ah, oh, that's that's why it looked like it's, <laughs> it isn't just professional. There's like an emu emotional care aspect to this whole treatment procedure as well. Um, by that time, I didn't know you had um, learned all of this through your own journey. That was when we met that you told me. That was an, an astute observation. And, you know, um, for those watching, um, uh, Dr. Sidra is uh, referring to referring to Benny or Benazir in in Pakistan, right? Benazir has done two to three podcasts with us. She is uh, a support person and and a champion for other uh, families and mothers, especially you know dealing with autism spectrum disorders. So yes, thank you, Benny. We all love you. <laughs> <laughs> we do, yeah. Um, okay, so we, you know, you. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the impetigo because I, I was going to uh, uh, remind you of that as well because that, that is something unique to your son um, that you know he's had it from nine months of age. It kept coming back in spite of antibiotics and right, you know, oral as well as topical antibiotics, which were, were given to him. Um, and, you know, the, 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 um, the infection finally, finally disappeared when you applied herbals, right? Uh, I remember it was the SS blend, which you applied topically. So I want to discuss that, but, but um, so if you can elaborate a little bit more on that and also, um, you know, uh, what, improvements did you see overall other than the um, impetigo? Okay. Um, so when my son used to get impetigo, obviously it was preceded by chorizal symptoms like a runny nose um, and itchy eyes and all of that. But what I noticed was that my son would be very irritated a couple of days before this rash appeared. He was very little then, obviously. Um, as children grow, even if they're not talking, they learn to express themselves in many different ways. But a baby or a one-year-old or a kid who's just crawling, uh, it's very subtle, the, the changes in behavior. And he, like I said, was always a happy little boy. So I would notice it. At times, uh, it was the change in mood then that would actually predict for me that, okay, Pataigo is coming. Mm -hmm. Which now I wonder was actually what got worse over time, the behavioral changes that came from that chronic infection was what just blew out of, you know, the through the roof at one point. So that impetigo had been treated like I, countless times with 10 days rounds of flucloxacillin since he was very little. Um, we tried to colonization with topical um, uh, creams, nothing, nothing worked. It would go away, but it would always come back. And my son would be very irritated with it and it would just be a bad couple of weeks. Um, as I started giving him the herbals um, that you prescribed, first, it didn't come that often anymore. But once I was on, uh, we were during an appointment and I told you that he's having it these days, the, the behavioral changes are not with it anymore. And it's not that bad, but obviously the rash is there. And you suggested that I make a, either directly apply it with a dropper or a spray, or if I wanted it to stay for a little bit longer, I mix uh, SS blend with neem powder and put it on there. I couldn't find neem powder, but I just put it a couple of drops on there. And when he was going to sleep, so he wouldn't rub it and it stayed over there. And miraculously, the rash the next day was more than like 70% gone. And by that time, my husband was paying for the medicines and the appointments, but basically he was just going with the, the treatment because he couldn't stand arguing with me anymore. 
when he saw that, he said, how, what happened? What, what did you put on him last night? And I said, it was the SS blend from the medicines that he's been having. That was like a turning point for my husband as a mainstream pediatrician with a master's degree in neurodisability who sees patients like this every day. That was when he got convinced. Um, and that was very interesting for me because it's always so fun as a wife to, you know, tell your husband, I told you so. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, since then he has never had it um, come back that bad. Uh, he's never required any antibiotics for it. Even if the rash, I can't even remember the last time he got that rash, honestly. But if he does get it, I only ever apply a couple of drops of SS blend on it and it's gone. That is so heartwarming to hear, you know, that uh, as as we address the root causes of something that had been bothering him to the point of making him irritable since the age of nine months. And, you know, um, another uh, great observation that you made as a mother, of course, you know, mother's intuition is uh, absolutely my number one go-to when when I treat my patients that, you know, it's incredible how you had that inkling that, hey, you know, something's coming on, you know, looks like his impetigo rash um, might be coming on again, looking at his behavioral changes, right? Yeah. yeah. I've, I've had um, eczema, I've had uh, impetigo rashes, I've had psoriatic rashes, that have uh, gotten better with the SS blend, um, you know, for many, obviously not, you know, nothing helps any 100% uh, of people. It all depends on underlying causes and, and, and uh, complex connection, right? With their own physiology, biochemistry, what's going on with them. But yes, it's been, uh, I have uh, uh, one patient with, uh, actually many patients with long last, with long-term cystic acne. Okay. And, you know, uh, cystic acne have a, um, have a uh, bacterial component, as I'm sure you know. So yeah. it's been like, you know, this uh, uh, one young lady comes to mind uh, right off the bat. And it's been uh, three to four years of... Uh, uh, pretty toxic medications like Accutane, Doxy, right? And it just keeps coming back. Mm -hmm. And she tried the SS blend and within three to four days, it's, it's just gone. I know how beautiful I was the first time that I saw, I was like, you know, how come and I said, that's a lot of makeup you have on. She's like, after the show, I, I, I have to go to a party. I'm like, okay, when you get back, you know, be sure everything is scrubbed off nicely. Because that's a lot. Your, your skin won't breathe. Uh, and then I saw her five days later, you know, she had, uh, she, she booked an, an urgent appointment. And I'm like, uh, you still have a lot of makeup on and you're just home. Please be careful. It blocks your skin detox. She goes like, Dr. D, no makeup today. I'm like, no way, <laughs> you know, and so she says, yes, five days of SS blend four times a day. Did she apply uh, it topically as well? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. She, uh, she, she had been applying it, you know, applying it topically. And then, um, so that's, that's just after years of, of all of these toxic medications. So yes. Uh, so then obviously, you know, I am seeing other family members now as, uh, uh, she has physicians and surgeons in her family as well. So, so the skepticism is a, is a bit low, you know, especially when, when they heard about the background, um, yeah. my background is pediatric neurology. I, I just, you know, it, it never happened in the U S uh, long story, but yeah, um, I, I turned to herbal medicine for my health and, and my son's health. And, you know, uh, you, you mentioned ibuprofen, Sidra. I've had several patients from Europe um, and uh, especially Italy that have been recommended, like little kids, you know, three, four years old, 600 milligrams ibuprofen three times a day for a pants flare. 600. I mean, my 20-year-old uh, my son going to med school hesitates to take 200 yeah. if there is, you know, and that helps. 200 milligrams at that age 
is helpful. I take barely 200, you know, if, if I have a really, really painful headache, like during a cough, cold, flu, you know, but, but other than that, um, it's, it's always herbals and supplements that are my go-to. So that is really mind boggling, you know, and, and on top of that, you get an acids like, like omeprazole, right. You know, is, is omeprazole a, a PPI? It is a PPI. Yeah. It is, right? It It is a proton pump inhibitor, right? So you are destroying stomach acid, which is so essential right at the beginning of digestive process. And then, you know, these children end up with a small amount of immune compromise and H. pylori infections develop. Yeah. Right, you know, and then they become picky eaters. So I know that was another issue with, with your son as well. So um if, if you can talk about, you know, cognitive improvements, uh, if you can talk about like dietary improvements, gut improvements, um, which you've seen with your son. Okay. Um, oh, and speech and language. Sorry. Speech and yeah. language. <laughs> so um, my son is eight now, and I think it's only been two years that we've, um, we've worked with you. Um the the biggest improvement for me obviously was that he didn't get get those extremely horrible pants flares anymore so those flares had brought me to a point where autism was no longer my concern i just wanted my child to stop being so miserable to stop screaming to just go back to being a happy child even if he was autistic even if he was a picky eater because when you see something that bad like when people would tell me um, at the hospital that this is his new baseline, it would absolutely kill me because I would think this is not compatible with life. How is that a baseline? Not for him, not for us as a family. So the biggest improvement that I'm extremely thankful for to you, to to God for guiding me to this, to this particular uh, treatment that helped him is that he doesn't get those miserable flares anymore. Obviously, he he lives in a in a, an environment where he's exposed to infections. He still gets a flu or a cough. He'll get it from school, um, or just playing with other kids. But he gets ill like a normal child who you know gets a little bit cranky, a little bit quiet, sleeps a bit more, but none of those obsessive behaviors, that extreme kind of depression, anxiety thing that used to happen to him, that doesn't happen anymore. So the pants flares are, are a thing of a past, and I hope they never ever return. There are still times, there's a bit of a PTSD both with me and my husband from that. Like yes. there are reminders or if something from that time pops up on our phone, mem uh, you know, those Google memories things, it's, it's still scary. So the biggest improvement was him not getting those anymore. As those got settled, I was able to pay attention to other things that were happening with him. And one of them was that he could follow instructions a lot better now. Before, I would see that he's listening. He wasn't one of those children who don't acknowledge you or block you out or something, but he genuinely did not understand things that I told him. Like a simple, simple command, like sit down or pick that glass up or pick up your water bottle or something like that, which in every speech and language therapy assessment is the first question they ask you. So is, how is he follow, with following instructions? Because that's how they judge receptive language. And my child was lagging behind in it very badly. Uh, we were told to keep it to one language because our um, mother tongue is Pashto and that's what we talk in. Um, but it's English everywhere else. So we decided, okay, maybe that's the problem. So we just started talking to him in English. It didn't really make a difference. But as he's been on this treatment, the expressive language is to the point where he understands instructions, complex instructions, not just in English, but also in Pashto. Oh, um, bilingually. So, bilingually, yes. Exactly. So receptive language-wise, it's like um, he, he understands completely. And it's not just um, a simple thing. It's multi-step instruction that I give him. He's able to fully follow it. Although we're not very far ahead with the expressive speech, the way he looks at me now when I'm talking, the way he responds with like intentional communicative sounds is so close to speech that I, I honestly have no doubt that it's, it's coming soon. Before that was a distant dream and I used to consciously keep myself from thinking about it because I used to say, okay, you know what, there, 
some autistic children just never talk. Let's let's not make ourselves upset and not think about that. It was such a distant possibility. It's not anymore. I know it's just a waiting game because it's very, very close to it. Um, the diet part was actually one of the most interesting changes that I've seen with him, which proves the theory that the, the symptoms are actually clues to a bigger cause. Like my son was uh, a very picky eater. So there was no way he would ever eat a fruit, a, a proper fresh fruit he could never eat. He was a little bit good with dried fruits like almonds or macadamia nuts and things like that. But anything that felt wet in his mouth, he just could not tolerate it. And I tried all the different methods that they teach you, um, the, the occupational therapist, how put a little bit on his plate and let him just look at it, let him watch you eat it, etc., etc. You know, those 27 step method that they give you to make your yes. child eat something. It's mm -hmm. like, now I think of it, it's not a behavioral problem. That's why it doesn't get solved with these little funny steps. The problem is that the child is just not healthy enough internally. So the choices that they make, um, for all we know, a, a nonverbal child at that time, maybe he's avoiding foods uh, because he knows instinctively that they're going to make him feel worse afterwards because his tummy is not in the position to actually make good use of it. So as time passed and he was on this protocol, he has switched to healthier snacks on his own. He would prefer a carrot stick now to chocolate, which I never gave him a lot anyway. Um, but things like biscuits or cakes or these starchy snacks, even if they were gluten-free, they, they were all he used to have. Um, but now he, he much he prefers fresh fruits a lot more. He's very interested in all kinds of food. Um, I don't have to cook separately for him anymore, which is a huge burden off my shoulders. He can eat family food. Um, it's very interesting because he he really enjoys it now. It's like an adventure for him to when he sees a pack of grapes or berries or something like this. I can see that he not only wants to eat it, but he's missed out on these flavors for seven years of his life. So he's really relishing it now when he eats them. So it's very beautiful to see. And that that made me understand how the important work is to work on the child's gut, um, to make the gut better. And then the, the spectrum of the food that he likes and wants to eat will automatically get better. It's not the other way around. And we moms tend to guilt ourselves into thinking that, you know, we haven't put enough effort into making him eat varied fruits and things like that. I used to do that all the time. Um, but we understand, we don't understand the problem in the right direction. It's from the inside out, not from the outside in, that you need to make the fix. Yes, very well said. It is uh, so important. I mean, I, I just... You know, I'm sitting here smiling, right? Listening to, um, I remember uh, one thing that you had mentioned was um, that even before that, you know, that you don't have to cook separately for him anymore. He's eating family food and that is huge. Yeah. That is just, you know, so much relief because as mothers and fathers, we just keep going, you know, it, it becomes routine and we, we kind of, push aside the, the PTSD, the extreme stress that it puts us under because we are doing what we need to do, you know, what we are told is the best for our child, right? All of this uh, never ending behavioral sessions. Yeah. When, you know, and I'm, I, I keep saying that, you know, a mother knows when she has a smart cookie for a child, you know, uh, he's smart. And they are intuitive because they've suffered so much internally. You know, they are very much in tune. You know how they say that um, uh, when one sensory channel is blocked or taken away, like, oh. Uh, Lisa, can we stop right here? I think her internet connection just went off. So I'm just going to pause until she signs back on. Okay. Lisa, I'm going to take like a, a three second pause for you for editing.
Right. So you know how when uh, one sensory channel is blocked, the other sensory channels become uh, extra developed, overly developed, you know, like with the uh, people who lose their sight or who are uh, born blind. Um, similarly, you know, our children, when they are nonverbal, they're uh, uh, the the proper word would be interoception. Yeah, yeah. Right. It you know their their exteroception seems to be affected, but interoception seems to develop really well. And um, one of the things that you mentioned was was just that you know instinctively, uh, your son knew that eating certain foods would cause him distress. And yes, if you have so many um, uh, gut infections, your internal terrain is so sensitive, is inflamed, it's raw. It becomes challenging to eat fresh fruits and vegetables because, you know, they have uh, a beautiful array of active compounds like, you know, uh, natural acids, natural enzymes in them. And that can certainly irritate an already irritated gut. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. You know, um, has has your son started on the herbal speech protocol yet? Um, only recently. So it's recently. just in a couple of months. Okay. Uh, okay. And um, we have all noticed how, like I said, his vocalizations are a lot more intentional now. Yes. Before any sounds that I did get from him were like stimming sounds, or sometimes there would be a little bit of echolalia. Um, with one particular syllable sound, but it's more intentional now. It's like he's trying to convey something. Um, it's like a baby babbling, to be honest, but with intent. Um, so that has increased a lot. A lot of people can now um, notice that he's not the quiet little kid anymore. Um, he does make his presence known. And I think what comes before the actual verbal speech, especially for our children, there are a, a lot of pre-verbal skills that need to be in place. Um, as parents, we our aim is to get them talking, yes, but we have to understand that coming to that speech level is a, is a complicated process. If you have a child who cannot take notice of other people in the room, he's not close to talking anytime if he's it's a child who does not know how to follow a one-step instruction then his receptive language isn't anywhere close to him getting expressive so we have to take all of that in account and before um i started working with him uh, on his pans side of things i was very much into therapies so i studied speech and language therapy for a while and this was what i discovered so i can notice the changes that he's getting in those pre-verbal skills Hamza is now a child who is um, enthusiastic about interacting with other children, with adults. Before that initiation wasn't there, that um, joint attention was never there. You could, um, as a lot of parents can relate to, it's hard to even get your child to look at the same thing as you, which is joint attention, which is what little babies have, but our children struggle with. So I know that the prerequisite skills are all there. That's why I'm not so worried about why isn't he talking in words anymore, because I know the building blocks and I know they have come in place now. That's why I'm saying it's a waiting game and I've waited for so many things. I, I don't mind that, honestly, for me as a doctor and as a mom, the biggest concern was his health, which has gotten a lot better. Um, like I was telling you in our previous appointment that he brings back flu from school and he's ill with it for three days and then I'm coughing for the next 10 days because I haven't been on your protocol. My immune system isn't as good as his and he, um, and he actually does a lot better with infections now. So um, I, I think it is important to um, keep an eye out for those little skills that only we would notice that maybe other people won't or the big things they come, but... Um, it's important to remember to celebrate the little steps that go in that direction. I really appreciate in the beginning, the way you mentioned that it's only been a couple of years. That is so important. You know, it was, uh, you, you mentioned that so matter of factly that, you know, I, I don't want anyone to not pay attention to that because uh, 
it requires a lot of patience when you understand what we are trying to achieve you know uh, sure you 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 find infections in in the uh, specialty labs that we run and you can go ahead and and try you know uh, all kinds of pharmaceuticals for those but there is always going going to be ramifications side effects and what have you from that that is one approach you know that there there will always be a conventional approach and uh, an alternative approach you know with, with herbal medicine being uh, being one of the alternative approaches a yeah. non-band-aid you know whatever changes you see with herbal medicine are intracellular changes um, herbal medicine enters the cells through the food channels it's plants it's not chemicals the cdr or cell danger response doesn't uh, come into play because it's not chemicals trying to force their way into the cells. You know, cell membranes are open to plant-based. Mm -hmm. it, it goes through your, your, um, your food channels. So that, that is another, um, another aspect to pay attention to that, you know, it is a relatively slow process. I mean, um, on the one hand, you have uh, immune destruction as an answer to anything autoimmune like pans pandas. Then on the other hand, you have herbal medicine that can certainly modulate, that can help you put that autoimmunity in remission. Yeah, right? it can. It can. Um, it, it can help modulate your immune system to the point where there is uh, much greater self self regulation. You know, I'll see pans pandas and autism children uh, immunity improve to the point where they start getting uh, regular fevers again. They start mounting fevers. That is a, a, a celebratory event. You know, you you need to celebrate. And it was I I, I remember my son's school nurse informing me he had a fever, and you know I did a kind of a clap and a dance. I'm like, oh. She looked at me like I was, you know, like, like I was nuts. She goes, Dr. Deshore. I'm like, well, let me explain to you, Mrs. Benson. And then I did. And she was old school. So she understood. She said, oh, really? Oh, so there was a reason for, you know, no wonder for the first two years, you know, he never came to the nurse's office. Yeah. I'm like, yes, because he would get sick. But pans pandas is also known as the alternative fever response that it gets completely channeled into toxicity and autoimmunity yeah. versus, you know, giving us a, a normal immune response fever, which alerts like for Hamza, for your son, right? From the age of nine months, he's been getting impetigo, which could be strep, staph, and it's an infection, but there was no fever. There was no associated symptoms. And uh, most of us end up thinking, okay, you knew it was impetigo, but uh, most parents would be like, oh, it's a rash. It's eczema. Yeah. No, it's a, I've, I've had rashes uh, on the scalp as well, which, which have gotten better with the herbal protocol. So, you know, hair loss. Yeah. Because of an unhealthy um, internal environment. Yes. So only two years. I love that you mentioned that, that yeah. you know, it's a slow and steady process. Another thing you mentioned is echolalia. I would like to take this opportunity to point out that, you know, echolalia after treatment has started, especially when you are now on the Bionexus speech protocol, right? You know, it's like three-step protocol. Now, echolalia is a good thing especially mm -hmm. in a child that's receptive language has come in bilingual. Right. Right. Uh, echolalia is where they are trying to experiment. They, they are trying to learn. So that is good. Eventually, some children will give you echolalia appropriately. Like, for example, you know, um, I, I remember the, the, there used to be a show back in the day. I don't know if it's still on, you know, Dora the Explorer. And I've uh, heard of it. You've heard of, I don't know if it's still on, right? Things have changed a lot. But, you know, she would say things like, uh-oh, something is happening, right? And I would hear uh, Brian say the same thing, you know, same sing-song voice, and it would be annoying. And then I would be like, well, wait a minute, he's speaking. Yeah. Like, it's a full sentence or a little phrase. And then I realized that he was using it appropriately. Okay. Like, like you know, he would see the pizza delivery guy coming, 
Um, and and he would see like, you know, uh-oh, something is happening. <laughs> you know, and then the doorbell would ring or, you know, whoever, right? And grocery delivery or or whatever. But uh, yeah, so that's that's good. Now, it, it is going to take some time. I haven't had a single, um, the speech protocol has just been introduced like mid-September this year, right? And years of research uh, into the herbals. Um, and I haven't seen a single child that has not responded so far. Okay, that's that's With words and language. There, I see, I see. I think I would want to stress the point that you said earlier. It's uh, it's painful to see your child unhealthy, to see your child lagging behind other kids, but it is very important to understand that it's a chronic illness that we're dealing with. So to have the expectation that a child who's been ill for six years would get better in six months, even it's um, or six weeks. I, I know some parents, they they think of herbal medicine to respond in the same way as modern medicine does, but then the approaches are completely different. Symptomatic control can be achieved with one dose, two dose of some strong chemicals that would just mask that effect for you. But if you're working from the base up, it's always going to be a longer process. What was very reassuring for me was that it's also a gentle process. So I knew my child was in a in a way where he, it seemed like he was reactive to everything, everything that I gave him, because I tried all those basic things that, you know, moms on autism chats um, or Facebook groups talk about, like fish oils and olive oils and probiotics and things like that. My child responded badly to everything. So I was terrified. Um, and I was looking for a way of treatment, which was gentle, which took all of that into account. So I remember expressing all these fears to you in our very first appointment. And um, now that I think of it, I must have been very annoying. <laughs> but I had just had bad experience with pretty much everything. So you started him on very gently, even with the binders. I remember start, you said, start with one pinch and we'll build it up. Now, binders is one of the more harmless things, you know, one of the gentler things. But you took into account that fear of mine and that uh, sensitivity of my child. And it worked for him how this protocol is slowly built up, how it supports and also works aggressively side by side. So for anyone who is put off by the amount of time it would take, I would want to tell them that it's worth the wait. And you know that you're working um, in a way that's going to last you're working on on a cause and building a, a building right from the foundation up it takes time but be patient with it and like i said celebrate the the little steps that only you as a parent will see um and you know encourage yourself and your child through this journey but give it a good go yeah yes see that that was um uh, very poignant uh, the, the way you pointed out that we are looking at chronic illness yeah right you know any autoimmune condition could be Crohn's colitis asthma uh, will will stay with you the goal is to put it in, into remission now whether you want to do um, want to do chemical band-aids or you would like to do something that is more long-term and long-lasting is your decision but yes you know patience is key yeah. Um, very good. You know, that is beautiful. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing, um, more and more, uh, stories and, and, uh, you know, about, um, Hamza's progress. And I say stories because, you know, um, some of the, some of the beautiful events that, that you relate to me, like Hamza being in the kitchen now, yeah. uh, all the time. And you're like, oh my gosh, would you just go take a break, you know, stop sampling everything in the kitchen and, <laughs> You know, it's like, I know that is, that is so beautiful. Uh, and that the fact that you're able to uh, go back to work for a little bit again, you know, and, and you're, so that, that is all, um, I, I hope to continue to hear uh, amazing progress from you, slow and steady. Um, as, well. as Thank we you very meet. much, Dr. Jody. Yeah, I, I have to say way more than just a client-doctor um, relationship. This has been, at a more personal level, just like what I felt when I first saw that protocol, like I mentioned, it looked like something that was um, 
fashioned by a mom rather than a doctor. I think on a, on a lot of levels, you have supported me um, as a mom as well. I remember once we had an urgent appointment because Hamza was in full on flare. This was at the very beginning of our treatment. And there was no way that I could talk to you um, because there was so much noise in the house. He was crying so loudly. So I had to close the door and quickly talk to you and just tell you what position I was in and you were so empathetic and so supportive and you could hear Hamza and the, you had tears in your eyes as well and you said it was bringing back memories of what you had gone through. So um, I come from a culture where a lot of importance is given to intention and intention being the worth of every good deed and I, I really do think that your intention is very sincere when you're dealing with a patient and that's part of the reason why I think well, like I said, it's the culture I come from. We like to romanticize things, maybe. But I do feel that your sincerity plays a very important role. Morally, for me as a mom, after that urgent appointment with you, I felt like, okay, I'm not the only person in the world this has happened to. I've got somebody in my corner who understands this, somebody who's been through this, um, somebody who's telling me what to do. And all of that really mattered. So... Um, I want to thank you not just as the doctor that you've been for my son, but for the support that you've been for me as well. I, I really do appreciate and value it. It's been a blessing helping your family. Thank and you. it is, yeah, to me, it's always a blessing to help a child and even bigger blessing to help the mother in yeah. some small form. And, you know, it uh, uh, when a child gets better, when a precious child gets better, it impacts the entire family. And right. it is, right, and it is a, such a massive good fortune to have been given this opportunity to help any child, even if it was just one child that I helped. And I've had this immense blessing of thousands around the world. And it's just, it all started with my little Brian going through yeah. all the crazy stuff that he's been through and you know some of that has been long lasting I mean he has some permanent disabilities uh, which uh, which were uh, gifts left behind by severe stage three neurological Lyme disease that that he ended up with right that he had I mean it was in utero transfer and I I did not know mm -hmm. uh, so yes but through all of that it's just like, you know, um, helping healers like yourself, you're a healer, and I'm sure you'll be paying it forward by making other parents aware of what could be happening with their child to help so many other children around the world. So that is, that is a gift. And, um, you know, it's not just romanticizing. I think it is more spiritualizing, you know, it exactly. is. Yeah, right? that's, that's a better way of saying it. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. You know, spirituality is a very important part of all our cultures and personality. And, you know, I don't think uh, uh, good health uh, is achievable without good spiritual health as well. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very grateful for all of your insights and, um, you know, your kind words, of course, but more than that, your uh, being being here today and encouraging other um, other mothers going through, you know, a tremendous amount of pain and PTSD and sacrifices having to be made for their children, giving them uh, more than a glimmer of hope. So I'm so glad you're you were able to make it today. Thank you so much, Dr. Jody. My pleasure. Well, that brings us to a beautiful end to today's podcast with Autism Uprooted. It is heartwarming to hear that Hamza is bilingual and doing so well, health-wise, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It is uh, the entire family that has come together and, and um, responded in this beautiful way. So on that note, I will end today's podcast. And I will see everyone next time with another episode. Until then, keep smiling, support each other, be well. Namaste.
Thank you for joining Master Herbalist Dr. Jody A. Dashaw, Director of the BioNexus Health Clinic and BioNexus Herbals, on the BioNexus Health Podcast, where we explore and share information and stories about recovering and healing from chronic and environmental illnesses such as mold biotoxin illness, Lyme disease, autism spectrum disorder, fatigue, Crohn's and colitis, mast cell activation syndrome, PANS, and more. Please help us grow our message by subscribing to our podcast channel and sharing the podcast on your social networks. For more information visit bionexushealth.com. Information within this video, audio, or text, collectively known as the podcast, has not been reviewed by the FDA. Nothing within the podcast is intended as or should be construed as medical advice. Information is for general informational and educational purposes only. Consumers of the podcast should consult with their healthcare practitioners for medical recommendations. Seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider. Do not disregard the advice of a healthcare provider based on any information from the podcast. The information within the podcast may contain information concerning dietary supplements or over-the-counter products that are not drugged. Our dietary supplement products are not intended for use as a means to cure, treat, prevent, diagnose, or mitigate any disease or other medical or abnormal condition.